I don't sing the Cantonese thing. I, I pretend to sing the Cantonese <laughs> thing, of course. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. It's been a short while, but we're finally back with the second half of season three. If you're a new listener, welcome, and here's a quick recap of how the show works. There are three parts to each interview. The first part is a straightforward two-way conversation, which starts with the guest introducing an object that in some way describes their life in China. In the second part, I ask every guest the same 10 China-related questions, all on the theme of their personal experiences, tastes and opinions. And the final part is just one extra question, where I ask each guest to nominate someone for the next season of the show. And this is how each interview represents a connective tile which builds out into a mosaic of China. The podcast has also been designed to include a visual element, so please follow the images on social media or head to mosaicofchina.com where you can follow the transcript. You'll also find details there on how to subscribe to the premium version of the show which has an extra 10 to 15 minutes of content per episode. And if you want to watch the video version of the show, which combines the audio with the images and the words from the transcript, then please head to the version on YouTube. Now that you're caught up, let's get on with today's episode, which is one where we take you on a journey of ideas. The journey starts in China, and then you'll notice that we go on a big detour to Nevada, but I promise that we come back for a great finish in China again. Thank you very much for coming, Francesca. Thank you, Oscar, for having me. And your full name is Francesca Valsecchi, right? Valsecchi. Francesca Valsecchi. This is where you've got a problem, actually, because your name, Francesca, is three syllables. Yeah. Valsecchi is three syllables. It is long for a country where actually names are very short. Yeah. So what do you go by in China? My Chinese name, mm. I have a proper Chinese name, which is Wei Fulan. Oh, that's completely different. That's like different, yeah. Who gave and you that? A friend that was used to live here um, for many years. And uh, she gave me the name Fulan, which is sound pronunciation for Fran. Yeah. And then uh, there was my martial arts teacher, Chu's Wei, which is like uh, one of the kingdoms. And I like it very much because he has a component. There is the wood and then there is the women. And then there is the Gui, like the spirit. And I said, this is perfect. I wow. take it all. <laughs> That's such a nice introduction mm -hmm. because I think we're going to be talking about those elements um, in today's chat. In a chat. way, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> well, we're running ahead of ourselves because the first question I should be asking you is, what object did you bring that in some way represents your life in China? So this is the object. Okay. It's actually a very recent object. I found it a week ago, more or less. <laughs> I was walking back home and there was a trash bin with a, a bunch of goods. I've been doing a lot of scavenging in all places in China. I have a, a very small place with a lot of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and I saw this one is the amulet. One side, there is a Buddhist figure. I actually pick it up because I wanted to try to read what was written there. And then I turn it and there is a rooster on the other side of the amulet. And I'm a rooster. Aha. Uh -huh. This came to you? Uh, yeah, we met in the street, which is pretty <laughs> much serendipity, like this concept that makes something happen, especially when I was unsure which object to bring. And so I was kind of like, I should just take this one. 
I like it because there's something which is very now about it. Yeah, exactly. And the second reason I was thinking about the serendipity is because one of the things that I do is an informal uh, underground tea house, which is called Serendipity. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we talk about scavenging then? Because you said this is part of how you have engaged with living in China. What does that mean? Well... I think everybody understand that this is like a place that is continuously under transformation and things are being uprooted all the time and that like so much matter and objects continuously discarded or just passed through many, many lives. Things that have no value, but they have microscopical beauty, as I call it. And mm. so I was just going exploring. It's more something that you go inside, you take a walk and you see what's left in the ruins. Mm. One of the most remarkable things that we found is uh, photographs. And we did a project uh, a few years ago with some friends that is called uh, lousyman.club and we found some undeveloped film roles. And uh, we have a dark room, so we developed the films. And so we were the first people to see the picture printed out of those roles. And then we did an exhibition with those images. And then we also tried to find where this, if someone could have recognized the places or or the people, but we didn't really find them much. But that was like really, really a very cool thing to do. Nice. Well, maybe people who are listening are trying to work out, okay, who the hell is Francesca? (laughs) And maybe they're thinking, okay, this must be some kind of artist. Is that what you are? Like, how do you define Mm, who you are? No, I don't define myself as an artist. What is your day job? I'm a professor Uh at university and uh, I'm not an artist, for sure. So what do you teach? I teach uh, design um, and and, that's a really... uh, Wicked question. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why I know that it's a hard question? (laughs) Because I am thinking about the person who nominated you from last season, Alex Scher. And I have the way that he introduced you. So why don't we play that recording (laughs) now? My suggestion and recommendation is going to be Francesca Valsecchi. She's the epitome of an environmental warrior. She's very much focused on using design research to essentially reimagine our ecosystems and consumption and community development. And um, she's also super active in Dragonburn. She's one of the main organizers, which is the Burning Man of China. So be ready for that. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, I think I should transcribe what Alex said on my LinkedIn page. Right? Because it's quite concise. Because I was also yes. thinking today, like, okay, how do I even introduce Francesca? <laughs> First of all, how do you know Alex? Through the burn. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is going back how many years now? This year is number 10. Oh, wow. Well, that came at the end of his introduction. Let's talk first of all about what he said about your professorship. So what the hell is that? (laughs) Design, but also ecology. How do you define it? Yeah, I think for me, it's more like how do you interface people like citizen or community with the sustainability concept and more recently with the ecological concept. So design has been like a consumeristic drive for Mm. decades, Mm. but creativity can do much more than that. My role in the school and uh, in my research is try to show how creativity can work for a not consumeristic way of producing things. Oh, that's so interesting because you're right. When I think of design, I think of making stuff. What you're trying to say is, no, design is actually something which is not consumerist. Yeah, I mean, it's not me. It's like there is a bunch of people doing that. 
you can still create things, but it's not that you necessarily have to sell them uh, or they don't have necessarily to be inside of a consumerist space. Mm. I think we have enough stuff to live with. They could become a product somehow. Like, I don't know, one student, she made a, a sport jacket that can uh, produce electricity by a bacteria that lives in a cell inside of the wearable. Okay. Okay. So you can still make a product that has a function and has been used in a context, but thinking about which is your source and which is your output. When they have to make a decision about where to start from, maybe they can start from a different angle. Mm. And that's that's the point. Then it's up to them. You know, it's one of the many voices that yes. meet over like five years of, of, of study. Yes. So how did you get from Italy to here? What's that story? The trigger, right? So I, I was depressed and um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to leave. Leave Italy, right? Yeah, I wanted to leave Italy. I have no idea where to go. Uh, it was like Christmas Eve and I was home like checking on this list of unread messages. And then there was this application for a postdoc project in China. I said, okay, I can do something. Then I checked the deadline. The deadline was first of January documents on printed format arriving in Beijing. And that was tricky because Christmas Eve in Europe means nothing open. And uh, that's where my brain had a kick of say, okay, this is the call, you know, this must happen. I have to try. So I had a, a phone call to China. I'm saying, listen, there is this things. I'm going to write a proposal. I need a letter. And he said, no problem. You will have it in one hour. And then I went to UPS office and convinced them to open the things for me on 26 because I had to send the parcel at the latest <laughs> on 26. So I spent Christmas writing the proposal of this, which was not a very great proposal, but still was enough to move myself throughout the process. And yeah, and then February I was in Brussels for the examination at the EU Commission. Uh, on the same weekend of uh, Iceland, the volcano eruption. So we were all stuck in Brussels, treated by the EU. That was great. Mm-hmm. And then on June, I was on a plane to China. Beijing first for almost a year. And uh, and then the project that I wrote, there was an existing uh, design and innovation project in Chongming Island. Chongming. Okay, that's the island which is within Shanghai City. Yeah, it's kind of 80, 90 kilometers long. Yes. And uh, if you see the map of Shanghai, it's, it really occupy a big part. The quality of a project that you write in two days cannot be very high. <laughs> but regardless, he moved me there and he moved me there for two years to coordinate a group of people that was studying what was going on. And I was curating more the agriculture part. So how can you support the transition to organic agriculture? This kind of things. Yes. You're actually reminding me of a conversation I had in season two with Douglas C. He also actually did some work in agriculture on Chongming Island, and now he is a businessman on an island off the coast of Ningbo. Did you know Douglas? Did you ever cross paths? No, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe I should. I'm going to check with him what years he was on Chongming, because I've never been there. It's something which I keep hearing about, and they're going to make the metro to go out there now, aren't they? Which is a great idea because the bridge is really bad. Do you still go to Chongming Island now then? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, Um, do you have any dreams to live out there? I wouldn't live again there. Uh, I would go in other maybe rural areas. China has a lot of amazing countryside areas, Mm. so. Yeah. Well, all of this is making me think, yes, it's not a surprise that someone like you would be drawn to something like Burning Man. Again, just like I haven't been to Chongming Island, <laughs> I haven't been to Burning Man, but I have an idea about what Burning Man is. So why don't you tell me how you got into Burning Man and maybe describe what it is? 
back in the 90s. Like we were a group of friends with many different underground experiences at the time, looking at this uh, experience of creating a city mm. in one week mm. and dismantling the city in one week. That's mm. what it is. Mm. So there is a component of festival in terms of music, there is a component of festival in terms of art, but the things that it is, is the experience of building a city out of a flat land in the desert and you dismantle it together, leaving a flat land in the desert. Mm. And I mean a city because when it started, it was very small, but now is, it counts like 70,000 people. So 70,000 for a lot of places in the world, it is a city. There is roads, there is like a traffic department, there is someone that is taking care of infrastructure, there is a restaurant, there is a cinema. One component of the city is that the community aggregates around the fire. So what makes Burning Man Burning Man is that there is a sculpture, a structure that is uh, burned down on, on the last day. There are many burns, but that's kind of the, the biggest one. I think a lot of Chinese people know about Burning Man because there has been a mainstream uh, explosion recently in the years. But I think not everybody understands the way of making a city is based on several principles. And if you take out this part, then you're doing something that could still be very cool, but different. Right. So what are those principles? There are 10 principles that inspire how the community work. And some of them are extremely necessary for the being of the city itself, like leave no trace. I always went earlier to build and stay later to dismantle. And I was in the leave no trace team for many years. And what we do is like we're swiping the desert. So imagine you are in, in the desert with a very, very fine sand and every single centimeter of the desert is wiped with the brooms. Mm. in order to get all of the single pieces of plastic that is left there. There is people staying for like weeks to do this work. Mm. And there is infrared to look at what is the amount left over that there is. And this really? is the way in which Burning Man get the permit with the Bureau of Land Management in the United States. But also is the way in which the community self-regulate itself. So if you have a red flag, so you means that for each square meter of camp, you had more than, I don't remember, like two cubic centimeter of trash you don't get placed the next year. Oh, okay, that's quite rigorous. So you'd be the person who, if you do see too much trash, you would put the red flag up. I'm the person that is going then collecting the trash mm -hmm. more than putting the red flag. Yeah, and you're talking about really microplastics when it comes down are, to it. I'm talking about the sparkle of your shiny jacket. Wow, 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 wow. That must be quite something when you've been in this place. There are 60,000 people and then you are still there later where it is literally back to nothing. Yeah, it's uh, gorgeous. These are experiences with a high level of participation. So they're making like yes. scale it up to a next level. Rather than just come in, fly in, enjoy, then leave. No. I mean, you, you can do. There is a lot of people that just use the word of the plug in, right? You arrive, you plug in. Ah. But... Uh, you're missing the point. Yes. <laughs> Which are these principles? So tell me about another principle. Burning Man is a place where there is no currency. You cannot buy things. Uh -huh. You don't buy anything. A, one of the principles is decommodification. Decommodification. Mm. The other one is like immediacy. Immediacy. Like the amulet before. It's like immediacy, you know, like being present on yes. what is happening in that specific moment. You see a door, so let me let me check what is there, you know. It's not that because you are on a planning mode that I have to go exploring a place and so what's the criteria that I choose that are you just there and you follow the trigger of looking inside of that door. Mm. Yes, I'm just trying to relate this to my life because I think I'm not an over planner, but I am a planner. You know, when you're talking about scavenging before, I say, OK, I'm going to set aside two hours for scavenging. Like, no, your, your point is you're just living your normal day and then, oh, you'll just go with the flow. 
Yeah. Mm. And then how do these principles come out in the festival? A gifting. Like gifting is another principle. So the city is more or less organizing camps and each of them as a offering as something that they bring to the ah. Burning Man to experience. So each camp would have their own kind of installation or whatever it is. It could be, be anything. Like it could really be a variety of things. Some of them like very simple and some of them more sophisticated. Uh, it could be like uh, someone that does a bowl of fortune cookie, you know. Mm -hmm. And then you're walking to your uh, music concert that you have planned on your schedule of Burning Man. And then there is someone that stops you and say, hey, you're beautiful. Do you want a fortune cookie? You know, and then you right. get a fortune cookie. And this fortune cookie is what makes your day diverge to another direction yes. because that's the triggering of the yes. of the mind. And so you wouldn't, it, mm. it, you wouldn't say, no, I don't take it because I'm going to the concert. You know, you can still say no. But it's not because there is a reason. It's just this happened, this yes. cross things. And it could be anything. The logistics become easier over time, right? Because the first time that you do it, you're like, oh, you yes. don't know how to do. But then after that, you do it for a while, then no problem. Yes. And as you're saying that, this is also where maybe the wonder of it might decrease because you are just a little bit more practiced. No, no. I'm sure. this, this is, I think, what makes it really amazing. It's mm. just like the more you are engaged, the more you're actually ready to discover things that are uh, incredible. The wonder is uh, absolutely infinite. Yes. Of course, it's very subjective. For me, it's like what I like to say is that you can apply the same principle in your daily life. I'm very comfortable in saying this because that's the way I do. Got it. Well, all of this is a prelude to asking you about how you have translated this into what happens here in China, which Alex kindly introduced as... The dragon burn, is that what he said? Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the dragon burn in China. What is your role in the dragon burn, first of all? Well, first I have to mention the Burning Man has a community of regionals. So there is uh, many events all around the world that happen inspired by the principle of Burning Man. So you go throughout an assessment process that involve uh, headquarter of Burning Man in terms of what do you do and, and there are certain practices that you have to follow in order. You can, you, yes. could also, you can do a Burning Man inspired event, whatever you want, and there are also many unofficial burn-like kind of events around, but uh, you can also be an officially recognized regional Burning Man event which doesn't give you any benefit. In fact, it's just like a matter of what the process that the community is doing. And there was this uh, this friend that has been living here for many years. He has this uh, dream and interest to try to build a community of people that would make a burner event possible in this country. And so a few people start to meet and then we start to say, okay, what do we need? We need the land, we need to find a place. So we start to go side checking. We start to do all of the things that make you throw up a festival kind of event, like a three day something. And the first time was 2013. Okay, and you're saying we, so basically you just did everything communally or did you have like specific tasks that you did individually? My contribution changed over the years. At the time it was, I mean, the team was small and the first event was also relatively small and, and the goal was to have something that could be burned as an effigy at the end of the event and then having like a gate in place, having this idea of like the welcome home kind of experience, uh -huh. a few details that would create the fact that you are participating to building these things. And this was in June and I broke my leg in April. So my first burn was in crutches oh, and yeah. it was remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> this was where then? Where, where did you find the land? The land is, is uh, so beautiful. It was in the Suzhou Lake. It was a little island 
inside of the lake mm-hmm. and it was really a majestic location and we really wanted to keep it but then the second year when we went back for the site check there was an hotel being built on the campground <laughs> so okay. we had to move so people bring their tents they bring their tents and they bring their, their food and there was a stage like a kind of a music area then there was a place where there was the effigy was built and burned then there was a few art installation there that people brought, like some of like them. Like the gifts, right? Like the gifts. Someone brought uh, like 10 hammocks and make a situation where there is a oh. hammockville. And then the community at the time was really small. And so we kind of knew each other. Mm. Over the years, one of the things that I do is building serendipity. There yeah. you go. Which is much more than a tea house, of course. But uh, oh, Hang on then. So what is it? <laughs> well, it's a tea house where you can have a serendipitous encounter. So Nice. I provide the tea house, I build the tea house. It's usually a very beautiful and comfortable space. Every year is, is different. So there is like maybe you can find some things that can be done and explore with the people that are there. Right. And that was in later years. So let's fast forward then. When it was at its height, can you explain what the Dragon Burn looked like? Every time is, is a height because it's different. But let's say there was a year in 2019, the number of people were 800. 800. The venue was uh, it was in a forest in Angie County. Mm. You walk around and uh, even though you have been organizing the backstage and the logistic very much, I was one of the person that did the two kilometers of electric cable for electricity. Yeah. Everything that you see, you didn't know that was there. Mm. You have no idea that someone was bringing that thing. You knew about the temple, you knew about the effigy, you knew about like the logistic organized thing, but you have no idea about what people were bringing. Yes, you create the idea, you create the space, but then what happens later is completely out of your control, right? Yeah, and that's where you are really at the burn. It's like you're going around trying to see like what is the next things or being surprised or engaged by things that are completely strange, unique and surprising. And then do you use the same principle of leave no trace? Yes, Dragon Ball is an official regional event. So the idea is that you can still apply the same principle as much as you can or want. For example, the leave no trace is a great example because how can you apply a principle of lino trace from a desert where you collect the very microplastic to a place where trash is money for a lot of people that is doing collecting by themselves. Mm. You don't want to cut them out of their work just because you have an idealistic principle of leaving no trace. So you are transforming Mm. this into like, what is the footprint that you're leaving or how can you organize your trash so then they're collecting. Like you're still applying your leave no trace but you leave the possibility to them to exploit the yes. result of this process in a kind way. Yeah. For for the people that is participate, they do understand the, the principle of uh, collective behavior, and, and that's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, this collective idea, that is quite Chinese. I think people in China are more collectively minded, right? Mm-hmm. What are the parts that don't fit so well in Chinese culture? Like, are, are there parts where you feel like, oh, this is not as easy to impart in China than it would be elsewhere? Yeah, like leave no trace and decommodification are challenging because yeah. of the, the way in which the context is made. People is really entangled with the phone life and uh, the fact that you are always on your phone or that you carry your phone with you. Um, and then there is also another element that is very important. It's not a, a principle, but from someone is considered the 11 principle, for someone is considered the, the glue between the principle which is consent. You want to make sure that people is on the same place. And so, like, for example, at Burning Man, if you're taking a photo of someone else, you ask. Yeah. And then when you're asked, you are already entering into a interaction moment. And so you are already outside of your 
taking photo kind of space. Which is here is of course challenging because people is used to take picture even before realizing the way that you behave. And uh, Dragonburn was a loose community of people has the goal to make cultural connection in a aware way. And so that's what is the important things to cultivate. What is the name in Chinese? It's, it must be Long... Long Yen. Long Yen. It's like a flame, I think, is the, the character is like the flame. Nice. How has it been for you to not have these outlets? Has that been tough? Yeah, I think um, the burn, but there was other things that didn't happen over the years, so they happen in different ways or with certain difficulties. That is one festival has been cancelled uh, the day before opening the gate. So it was kind uh-huh. of like a little bit. Uh, so it's been hard. The last two years has yeah. been hard. And I'm used to go to several regionals around the world, like re- relatively regularly. So the going home feeling is very real. There are many homes and there are many families that I think everybody can belong. And that's one of them. So it's, it's a missing point. Well, I want to end this conversation on a note of positivity because, you know, I'm still looking at your object, which is this lucky Buddha with the lucky rooster <laughs> on the back. And it does typify that you do live your life in this dragon burn way, in the way that you work, in the way that you impart this to your students, in the way that you are with immediacy picking up these little things on your scavenging hunts, in the way that you have just talked about your life today. So I think you are embodying the spirit of those 10 principles. Yeah, I'll try my best. Good. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I'll keep on doing that. I'm going to try and embody some of them myself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Francesca. Thank you. We will go on to part two. Yes. So the 10 questions, Francesca. Question one, which comes from Shanghai Daily. What is your favorite China-related fact? Okay, so the China-related fact is that when you pay your taxes at the end of the year, even as a foreigner, you can get a bonus, like you have a deduction of your taxes because of your parents. You get a deduction for each of the living parents that you have above 60 years old. Really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The lady at the tax office asked me, what about your parents? Like, what do you mean? And they just said, they don't live here. It doesn't matter. You have them. (laughs) They are your parents. Why haven't I heard that before? That's awesome. (laughs) Next question, which comes from Rosetta Stone. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Yes, I do. Okay. This was an easy one. It was kind of, it was straight on my my mind. And uh, the sentence is, Du wan juan shu, xin wan li lu. Say it again. Du wan juan shu, xin wan li lu. No, I don't know it. Go on. So it's something about reading thousands of books uh. or walking thousands of miles. Ah, I've heard it before. And uh, there is different interpretation, mm. like a kind of relationship between the learning and the practicing, like how do you study like intellectually and what do you practice. There is also more kind of trivial version, which is like read more and walk more, which I find very appropriate. And the reason why I, I like this sentence is because it's connected to a very specific moment where someone shared this sentence to me, say, oh, you are this kind of person. Yeah. And uh, it was a very cool moment of friendship with uh, a Chinese friend. And, and so I think I want to share. Yeah, I like it. You've inspired me now. I'll remember this. <laughs> Next one, which comes from Naked Retreats. What is your favorite destination within China? This is, was really difficult. So I pick up the romantic one. Is that because you're here with me, Francesca? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I will bring you to Chongqing. (laughs) Oh, Chongqing. That's romantic. 
Well, no, romantic because in Chongqing there is the memories of the uh, first time I was there in 2004. I get off on a bus like after many hours and we were in front of these uh, five layers of highways, like, yes. like cyberpunk structure. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm a city lover. And before then, my favorite city was Athens in Greece. And now Chongqing is kind of like the same you can see the turn of the river. I was going to say that, yeah. I navigated the, the river uh, uh. a few times in my life, and there is that specific spot on the bank where even though everything around that is constructed, you can actually go there and touch the water yes. of the river, and that's incredible. I really have a strong legacy with that place. It's funny because this is the third season of this show and no one's mentioned anything about Chongqing until this season where suddenly the world is converging on Chongqing <laughs> and this is where you were the most Italian because your hands were like waving in the air about all these structures flying and everything is so mountainous right mm -hmm. and so to build a road as you say you've got to build these roads on top of roads and all these layers it's really fascinating to see that isn't it? Yeah, also the, the only place in China with no bicycle. I mean, it's... it's uh, ah. That's why I said it's romantic. I have this very strong emotion of the mm. first time I was there. And every time this is really bubbling in the heart. Yeah, it's really strong. Nice. Next question. If you left China, what would you miss the most and mm. what would you miss the least? Uh, well, the things I will miss the most... The random conversation with stranger, the fact that you walk out in the street <laughs> and for some reason you start to talking about, I don't know, philosophy or literature or soccer or play cards or KTV with anybody from the guy that is you're buying your dumpling or from the taxi driver or whoever. There is always a conversation starting. This is the way in which I study Chinese. Yes. yes. And this is marvelous. You, you know? Yes. In groups, sometimes strangers in China can be very tough. You know, they will just run over you. You know, they will not wait for you. They will push into a lift when you're coming out. All that kind of stuff is true. But then individually, sometimes the opposite is true with strangers. And they will come up to you and engage with you like, what? And that's the best part about living in a place like this. Yeah, and I'm one of the person that started the conversation. Oh, you often. started? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. That's what, like the fact that you can go and say, oh, nice haircut, you know? Like, I do it. And in Italy, you would be considered just mad or like <laughs> kind of a harassment. But here it's just like, a, I really, really love it. This is where I don't know if it's a China thing or if it's just a being a foreigner thing. And maybe they're like, because she's Italian, maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll allow her. You don't know, right? Uh, I observe enough of people to see that stranger talk by themselves as mm. well. Mm. You could say, well, mind your business, you know, but at the same time, it's very delicate and so evanescent. It's like it's so easily mm. disappearing that who cares, you know? It's yes. like, yes, we are still on the same planet, breathing the same air, so yes. why not? This is a bit like Burning Man. This is a bit like it's maybe. in the moment and then it's gone. That was a piece of art maybe. in your interaction. Maybe, maybe, yes, maybe, maybe, maybe. What about the thing that you'd miss the least? I don't like people that complain about China all the time mm. and just being here. I really a little bit tired of that. <laughs> Everybody can be discontent. That's fine. But yeah. there are ways and ways to express your discontent. Yeah. And, uh, I don't think that there is a duty to be positive, but we could be a little bit more uh, humble, you know, mm. and uh, find the appropriate space for expressing concerns. There you go. Next question. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? Um, yes, that's what I call uh, the gray zone. 
<laughs> I think I know what it's you mean. The, Go it's on. It's the concept that impossible things are possible, mm. and um, nothing is really determined. There is always a way. There is many degree of separation between uh, reality and unreality, possibility and impossibility. You can see it in every aspects of of life, for the good, for the bad. But it's like it's a very unique feature. And keep being surprised by the way in which it can manifest. Mm. Can you think of one example? You're on a bus. You're making sure with the driver that this is the bus is arriving at the south station and not at the north station. And yes, of course, it's arriving at the south station. And then you arrive at the north station, but he arranged a guy that is going to drive you to <laughs> the south station, you know. And then you are oh. angry at him because you are in the wrong place, and he told you the other thing. But at the same time, how can you be angry with someone is organizing a lift for you to the place <laughs> where you want to go? This was in Wuhan back in the days, but it's still uh, nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Next question, which comes from Smart Shanghai: Where is your favorite place to go out to eat or drink or hang out? Can I mention a place that doesn't exist anymore? Oh, let's <laughs> time travel. Sure. <laughs> My favorite place, for sure, is uh, shelter. Yeah. Like that was like a. It was an underground home. club, right? It was an underground uh, place, also like an extremely vibrant electronic techno scene, like musically one of the very sophisticated place for music culture. Like just, I'm not nostalgic. I think it was just really a very good place. Next question: What is the best or worst purchase you made in China?、Mm. It was something I ordered from Beijing. I asked a friend to bring it to me. They're very hard to find here. It's one of these、uh, very thick coat that they use to cover the doors in the Beijing restaurants, made with this、uh, green military, very hard fabric that is kind of like is a windshield、uh, yes. things for the place without the door. I live in a house in which the kitchen is、uh, open to the garden, and I have one of them since 12 years in my place, and make myself be able to cook in in freezing winter with no problem. Wow! <laughs> Why is it so hard to find? Because it's not really used here. In Beijing, it's used on top of the door.、Mm. So when you open the door, there is this kind of transition where the freezing air is not coming in.、Mm. But here, the winter is not that cold, so it doesn't really have the function of being the windshield. But for someone that doesn't have a door in the house, <laughs> it comes <useful> . really. <laughs> We haven't talked about how long you actually have been in China. How long ago was it that you were in Beijing? It was early 2010. Okay. What is your favorite WeChat sticker? <laughs> okay, so the first one is like a satanic bunch of like a. Weirdo people in a circle, hand by hand, and jumping around,、uh, yes, like a star or something. So it's this feeling of community, right? That totally fits in. I mean, do you、yeah. use this with your dragon burn crowd? It's more related to something that reminds me of friendship. So right. So it would be more connected to a Christmas dinner than a dragon burn crowd. Yes. <laughs> And then this one, there is a huge field of grassland with like this hole in the middle, and everybody is just <laughs> running to the hole and jumping into the hole. It's、uh, completely nonsensical and meaningful in any situation where you want to <laughs> leave people with this sense of like, wait, what a second. What does she mean? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. That's what I mean, you know. Oh, I love it. That is one that I'm going to start using. Okay. Perhaps <laughs> on the daily. <laughs> okay. Let's move on. Next question: What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? Well, it's、uh, a song called "High Quality Hong Kong" from、uh, Beyond, which means like under a vast sky. I don't know exactly the translation. And、uh, Beyond is a Hong Kong rock band from the eighties, like nineteen eighty something.、Mm. 
and they're just great. I mean, it's pop rock, but at the same time, they have these guitar riffs that are amazing, and they, they sing in Cantonese, which is uh, the ultimate musical well, thing. This is where I have to interrupt you, because it's so difficult to sing in Cantonese. Like, how the hell do you do that? I don't sing the Cantonese you thing. Don't? I, <laughs> I pretend to sing the Cantonese <laughs> thing, of course. Yes. I don't know if I'll ever, ever feel brave enough to sing a song in Cantonese. <laughs> Come to karaoke with me and then I'll show you the way. <laughs> what was it called again? Is I Kuo Tian Kong. Yeah, we, uh, and that's Mandarin, but do you have a clue how you say it in no, Cantonese? No, 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 <laughs> of course not. Okay, and finally, and this comes from JustPod, which is the studio where we're in right now. What or who is your biggest source of inspiration in China? Mm, I think is uh, my bicycle guy. This guy has been fixing my bicycle for the past 12 years. Mm-hmm. We don't talk that much, but I take him as a, an example and a symbol of all of the people that is uh, making and tinkering their own things that you see you walk in the, in the street and you see everybody that is doing some adjustment and some change and, and some fixing, some personalization. The way that he fixed the bicycle, he basically used the most of the time a hammer. Oh. <laughs> so it's the source of inspiration because you go there with a the problem and then now I'm going there and say, let's see how I was going to use the hammer this time. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to smash a piece or like he's cracking something or he's completely displacing something else. But whatever is the process, like he always gave me a bicycle that is perfectly working. I have wow. a very old school bike and the surprise of the process, like for me, is a good metaphor. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The realness of that work and the handicraft. The handicraft. Knowing how to use that one tool to fix something which, which normally you just say oh I'll just throw it away and buy a new one but yeah he can fix it I love it <laughs> thank you so much thank you I've really enjoyed speaking with you I think a lot of the stuff is going to bubble in my mind after this conversation things that I can change in my life before you leave let me ask you the important question which is out of everyone you know in China who would you recommend that I interview in the next season of Mosaic of China I want you to invite uh, Temple Rat Temple Rat. Yes. <laughs> this is a person or? This is a person. <laughs> okay. Is a art name of a musician and a DJ. She's a friend, of course, but she's my favorite electronic and techno DJ in the country. Mm. But she's also a uh, musician and producer. She's producing music with uh, a lot of uh, cultural influence on the stage and on, on the music part. Oh, I love it. I think she's brilliant. I think she's a great soul and a great musician. So I, I think it's a good piece of the mosaic. Wow. Brilliant. I agree. And if you could ask Temple Rat one question, what question would you ask her? If you, if you would be the creator of a sound that already exists that you know, which sound oh. would it be? Nice. That is a very abstract question. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's see how she tackles it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Francesca. Thank you, Oscar. There are lots of images alongside today's episode, so be sure to see what Dragonburn looks like, to see Francesca's object, the rooster pendant, to see her favourite WeChat stickers, and so on. If you're on WeChat, make sure to add me there so I can invite you to one of the listeners' groups. There are about 2,000 of us there now, spread over a few groups, and I've shared a link there to the Dragonburn official WeChat account in case you want to learn more. 
And speaking of learning more, if you were inspired by Francesca's affinity with the Chinese countryside, then you should definitely listen to my chat with the rural architect Chen Haoru from episode 5 of this season. As with every main episode of the show, there's a longer version of my interview with Francesca available on the premium version on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions internationally or on iFadian in China. Just search for Mosaic of China on those platforms and here are some clips from what you'll find there from today's show. There's a hot pot restaurant at Burning Man and you are in the middle of a desert that is very harsh and you have to survive. I don't believe in this distinction that design is for selling and art is for some kind of intellectual exercise. Your body completely disengaged with the relationship of payment transaction. Obviously, you can tell people who are there for the burn, right? You can... Oh yeah, you're chatting on the highways. Yes. <laughs> I was in Laos for 72 hours. It was like not a very great idea in terms of a lot of things. <laughs> Coming back can be shaky sometimes because... I mean, uh, yeah, because I feel that after any holiday, I'm like, ugh, I'm back to my real life. When people ask me, what do you do? I say, what, like, in which part of the day? Apparently, you are supposed to visit your parents at least once a year. Uh, by law. <laughs> by law. <laughs> Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Stick around after the music for a catch-up conversation with the person who referred Francesca to the Mosaic, the clean energy entrepreneur Alex Scher from Season 2, Episode 11. And I'll see you back here next time. <laughs> Hi, Alex. Hello, Oscar. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. I can see you. A sight for sore eyes. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Well, when we first talked last season, in season two, you had been trapped outside of China and you'd been making it work, living outside, hopping between places on the east coast of the States and the west, and then you settled on a houseboat in Sausalito. You were still working China Times and you had every intention of making your way back. So where are you right now? Yeah, great question. I am currently residing in Brooklyn, New York, oh. and it's been home for the last uh, year and a half or so. And I met someone new as well, and I brought her east from California. I continue my China Hours journey. I've primarily been running my business, uh, Cedar Clean Energy, which has actually picked up quite a bit. With the China energy crisis, you know, coal prices and everything going very high, a lot of renewed interest in renewable energy, especially due to the increased enforcement of the uh, Chinese government renewable energy targets and emission standards. Well, just to remind people who didn't hear your original episode, we mainly talked about the ups and downs of the solar industry over the last 10 years. So drastic were those ups and downs that we called it the solar coaster. Um, <laughs> And it's really nice to hear that we are now going up again. Is it just solar? Or it sounded like you are doing more than just solar these days. That is correct. Mostly we're looking at general renewable energy procurement now. So that's typically solar or wind energy. Last year, the, the Chinese government started allowing large corporations in China to actually purchase renewable energy directly through the power exchange. So that has been the thing that honestly we've been waiting for for 10 years or more. 
finally it's achievable to purchase renewable energy at scale and to have the credible claim on that renewable energy. And it's only in certain provinces and there's still challenges with getting access to enough renewable energy and, and negotiating the contracts because they're very much like one-off bilateral negotiations. But a lot of big corporates are now finally ready to purchase renewable energy. So we're looking at solar, wind, uh, a little bit of hydro. There's even some people who are interested in nuclear. Pretty excited about that. It's so interesting. And of course, it all depends on you know the laws that get passed and the regulations. That really is what your story was about. It was, of course, about the renewable energy industry, but it was broadly more about how China regulates anything. And we have seen how it affected your business. We saw recently, since you left, a similar thing happened in the education industry. I couldn't help but think about your story when those things were happening in that industry and sudden regulations making a different kind of roller coaster. It was one of those moments where I felt like, wow, maybe I am finally starting to learn how China works. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good observation. I, I, I didn't think anyone else picked up on that besides me, but I'm glad that you did. It is one thing and then it's another. So yeah, it's a challenging situation to be in if you're running a business. Yes. So anyone who wants to hear about that story, definitely go back and listen to Alex's original episode. It will teach you how industries can change overnight. It's interesting because... Well, your story still is a China story. You know, that's where you were able to turn your passion and your dream into your career. So you being in the States now, this is the first time really that you're working in this industry in the States, or in fact, really anywhere with one foot outside of China. What does that make you think about in terms of the differences? Does it make you look back on your experiences in China in a slightly different light? Yeah, great question. It does make me appreciate some things, especially the relative ease for me of doing business in the US. I mean, just being able to speak a common language and be able to read a contract with ease. <laughs> it does just change the dynamic of the pace at which I can make decisions and a little bit more confidence in terms of the framework I'm operating in. Um, that's one aspect. But the downside is that we do spend a lot of time with politics here in terms of getting regulations and policies and political debates and discourse. And it's exhausting, uh, if you, especially if you're trying to get anything done, if you want to change things, if you want to move things forward, it's a very lengthy, very cumbersome process to make change happen. And often that change only lasts two or four years until the next cycle or next election. So I do really miss the long-term planning of China in particular. There's something beautiful about being able to create a 30-year plan and work backwards in five-year increments to that plan. As someone who is very focused on the future and my whole passion and mission around climate change and renewable energy, it is a much easier framework to work within. And then also just the lack of manufacturing capacity in, in the West. I think it's oh, right. still, yeah. it's such a challenge. I mean, everything is waiting on a supply chain somewhere else. For example, you know, with solar and wind, a big challenge is just getting the, the products into the country. And the ones that are made here tend to be more expensive. So uh, pros and cons, that is for sure. Yes. And, and still not comfortable with either side. I, I have... <laughs> I would, I would love a hybrid. Yes, it's fascinating. Could you say one is a more predictable chaos than the other? I don't know, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. It's hard to say. Nothing is simple, is it? Damn it. No, it isn't. <laughs> um, you being in season two, you are sandwiched between the person who referred you from season one and the person who you referred to season three. So let me start with your connection to Greg Nance from season one. Have you been in touch with him? We actually uh, met face to face when he started his run across the United States in Brooklyn, New York. I ran the first mile with him. 
and it was great to send him off on his way. And he's running across the country to raise awareness around mental health and addiction for young people. That was the first time seeing him in person, and it was such a good moment, and it was great to see him doing his thing and hitting his stride, no pun intended. <laughs> Your catch-up will, of course, be tacked on to the end of the person who you referred to season three, which was our mutual friend, Francesca. So how about you and Francesca? Have you been in touch? Yes, uh, we've been in touch, especially given our active roles in the Burning Man world. There's a lot of overlapping communities. Uh, she's someone who I think of when I need a smile. She's got incredible energy and she gives great hugs. So if you ever get the chance, get a good hug from Francesca. <laughs> That's a, a nice way to wrap this up, as well as saying congratulations. I know that uh, when you mentioned you have come to the east of the States with your partner, that uh, you recently got engaged. So mazel tov to you. Yes, thank you very much. Um, yeah, life life goes on. It's it's kind of crazy how fast time flies. I cannot believe how long I lived in Shanghai and I cannot believe how long I've been gone from Shanghai. Both numbers shocked me. Yeah. Well, it's great to see your face, Alex. Thank you again for being a part of this mosaic and I look forward to keeping in touch. Same here. Thank you so much for all you do. And I'm so glad this is continuing on. It's been an amazing inspiration for me hearing all the awesome people and keep it going.